0: It being Father's Day, I reflected on an experience that I had in college. I went to Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia. And for a while, I dated a young woman from Mary Baldwin College, an all-women's college in nearby Stanton. At Mary Baldwin, the college has an annual formal each fall called Junior Dads. My girlfriend invited me as her date, but the real purpose of the junior dad's event is that each woman attends with her father. The highlight of the event is that the young women are presented with their class rings by their fathers. Then father and daughter kick off the first dance of the formal. When I attended this event, it was in 1994. And if you remember that time, our society was still in the aftermath of the famous remark by Vice President Dan Quayle regarding the TV show, Murphy Brown. This was where the main character chose to become a single mother. On the one side, you had Dan Quayle, who said that the increasing trend towards out-of-wedlock births was troubling and that our society undervalued the importance of fathers in raising children. On the other side, you had those who found the vice president's remarks offensive, believing that they insulted single mothers and fostered a narrow vision of the ideal family. The festivities at Mary Baldwin began with a dinner hosted by the college, and I'll never forget the talk that was given by the president of the school that evening. She began by acknowledging the deep division that existed in society between those who spoke up about the vital role of fathers in raising children and those who felt that exalting the importance of fathers was hurtful or exclusionary to those whose family situation was such that they did not have a father who was present in the home and married to the mother. But then the president told us the history of the junior dad's formal at Mary Baldwin, which had begun in the 1960s. What she said was fascinating. Their tradition of honoring the father-daughter relationships in the junior class was the idea of a student who herself had not had a father growing up. As the president told us, the message this young woman was trying to send to her classmates was for them to appreciate the great gift of having a loving and involved father in their lives. This student understood that precisely because it was something missing her own life. John Paul II said that one of the munera, or works of a father, is to reveal and model the image of God the Father to his children. One can, of course, easily see what this means when so many in our society are growing up or have grown up without any father in their lives. But I think the other great casualty of the father crisis is that it also leads to a loss of a sense of identity and purpose amongst those men who are actually present and committed to being fathers for their children. Because too often, especially it seems in this current debate about gay marriage, our public discourse does indeed pay homage to the value of two-parent families which is an improvement over Murphy Brown's exaltation of single motherhood, I suppose, but it still shortchanges the issue. The value of a family comes in not in having two parents because, by that token, we could say, well, three parents is even better, or four, or five. But of course we don't, because the value comes in having a mother and a father. And since a father is the one that is most often absent, what we are really talking about is the specific role and contribution of the father to the life of the family. On the one hand, I think we should be wary of trying to answer this question too precisely, because the minute you do that, once someone thinks that they have quantified and tabulated the benefits of a father in the home, someone will be out there arguing that we can obtain these same benefits through some other means without actually having fathers present which is bound to fail because fatherhood is something of a mystery, just like God the Father is kind of a mystery to us. But at the risk of encouraging this kind of reductionist mindset, I think the scripture readings today provide us with several key guides of what it means to be a father. In the first reading, God the Father tells Job that he is the one who says to the storm, thus far you shall come, but no farther. This points to the role of the father as the protector of his household. He is the one that is charged with keeping outside dangers at bay. Second, St. Paul tells us that Christ indeed died for all. That tells us that it's the place of the father to sacrifice on behalf of his wife and children. No man who thinks of himself first and isn't willing to suffer for his family Can rightly be called a father. Third, St. Paul says to the Corinthians Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Fathers are the initiators of their children. They decide, in conjunction with the mother, when their son or daughter is ready to take the next step in independence, whether that is crossing the street, or taking the training wheels off, or getting a driver's license, or going on a date. In doing so, it's the father's job to mark this rite of passage by giving their explicit blessing to any such new independence bestowed upon the child. Fourth, as the Gospel reminds us, Jesus had disciples. This comes from the Latin, discipulus, which is the same Latin root of the term discipline. It is the role of fathers to be the disciplinarians of their children. And finally, we see that when the storm arises on the sea and the disciples are afraid, Jesus says, why are you so terrified? Do you not yet have faith? A father is meant to give assurance to his family. A father does not merely protect his family. He should strive insofar as possible to not let them be afraid in the first place. That last point was brought home to me one time when I was with a family I knew that had a young son who was having a serious surgery. I went to the hospital and met the mother and the young boy and I waited with them in the surgical ward. The father had something to do for work and then he was going to meet us later. So I sat there with the mother and the boy, and we just waited. The mother, understandably, was getting very nervous. The kid, who was only a little boy and only half understood what was going on, he was getting increasingly nervous as well. And there I was, trying to be a reassuring priestly presence, but acting all somber and probably just reflecting the tension that was already there. But then the father arrived, and he burst into the waiting room, and he picked up his son and started horsing around with him and lifting him up and throwing him into the air. And the boy and his father just started laughing and joking, because his father knew how to give his son assurance. Just act like this was no big deal. It was a good lesson for me as a spiritual father. Going back to my experience at Mary Baldwin College, at the end of her talk, the president said something else that I thought was very interesting. She said that, of course, during all of those years that they had been hosting the Junior Dads event at Mary Baldwin, there were, of course, always students who didn't have a father that they could or would invite to this event. Yet many of these young women invited someone else in the place of a father, whether it was an uncle or an older brother or a professor or a pastor or a rabbi or a coach and that these alternative fathers were so proud to be asked to step into this role. She said that they often beam prouder than the fathers who were there. I think that's because every man is endowed by God with a capacity for fatherhood, even if not all become fathers in the natural sense, because it's part and parcel of manhood to want to be that image of God the Father for others. Sadly, I think it's something that our society discourages this calling towards fatherhood, calling it patriarchy or chauvinism or sexism or whatnot. Yet if we do not cultivate and channel the fatherhood instinct, I think we will find ourselves with the problem that C.S. Lewis identified in The Abolition of Man. He wrote, In a short of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chess and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and we bid the geldings be fruitful.